0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: Uh, My name is Eric Stoyer. I'm the creative director of Creative Commons, and uh, I'll tell you a bit about Creative Commons in a minute. I'm also a a writer and a musician, and I'm really interested in the ways that we can use technology and uh, openness to create a better world.
0: I like, I like that mission, the personal mission statement uh, at the end. So you've already hinted at it. So first of all, for the uninitiated out there, what exactly is Creative Commons?
1: Creative Commons is, I think, the shortest way to, to frame it is that it is a, a, a relatively small nonprofit organization and a relatively large global community that are interested in creating what we think of as a commons of culture, knowledge, and information So when I say commons, I mean similar to the way that a public park can be thought of as a commons, it's not privately owned, it's sort of accessible and by some measures, communally owned. And uh, we have been in the business of doing this for about 20 years, and the primary way that I think people know of us, especially people that are active in the Wikipedia community, are through what I think of as being our signature project called Creative Commons licenses. And those are a set of copyright licenses that are free, publicly available licenses that anyone can use to attach to their work. So the things that they've created that they hold copyright to, to make certain rights available to the general public, meaning anyone out there. So you have a set of rights that you are bestowed with when you create something, copyright rights. If you want to give some of those rights over to the public so that they can do things like build upon the work that you've done, share it, remix it, use it in new ways. Then you might use a Creative Commons license to do that.
0: And as a, as a creator, I suppose, were, was that part of how you became involved in the community or what was your way in?
1: It is, as a matter of fact. I was a an editor for a few years back in the mid-2000s at Wired Magazine. And we did a big feature on Creative Commons, which at that point was a relatively new approach to copyright and was, um, I think at that point, a response to some of the, I I guess at that point, people thought of copyright as being either like, you know, it's a complete free-for-all where anyone can do anything with anything that's on the internet, grab it and do whatever you want, or it's all kind of locked down by a handful of media companies. And we really wanted to say, well, look, there's opportunity for middle ground that's what creative commons before i got there that's the sort of the mission that they had we did a big thing on them with wired Um, i was part of a small group of editors at wired that put together what was called the wired cd which was one of the first major projects especially in the music space that used creative commons licenses it included songs by uh, the beastie boys david byrne zap mama Matigre, danger mouse so some pretty major artists, all I think affiliated with major labels at the time. And the idea was to show like, as things are changing, as business models are changing, as access and ways that people use technology is going to just be changing and changing and changing, that there's room for you know, what we say is the middle ground between all rights reserved and no rights reserved. And that creative comms be a way to do that. So with that project specifically, which I think is a good way to understand how the licenses work more generally, um, Artists got to choose which of the handful of Creative Commons licenses they wanted to issue their work under so that people could use them. Those licenses include clauses, legal clauses like the uh, ability to say to the public, I still own the copyright to this song or this work, but uh, you can use it as long as it's for non-commercial purposes. Or you can even use it commercially, but you have to give me credit. So those kinds of things. Um, That's how I got involved. I was really enamored with the idea of an approach like this, especially because it was sort of a a tweak and a, and a and a for lack of a better word like a a hack on the law, which I think up to that point I thought of as being sort of the enemy. Like the law is something that's going to tell me what I can't do, and these were lawyers that were actually working to try to figure out ways to enable things that people wanted to do to 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 set kind of a legal set of parameters around things that people wanted to do to make it legal, so that it wasn't just that. Uh, again, it was sort of this free for all where anything goes. It was it was legal and it respected the wishes of creators, but it also was respectful of the idea that with the new technologies and opportunities that were available to the public, that there might be new ways that we might build on existing culture. And and it would be a real shame if we couldn't do that because the law wrapped everything up in very restrictive copyright.
0: So since you've, you know, work for Creative Commons, um, so what does your your day-to-day job involve?
1: So I've worked at Creative Commons twice. So I got uh, involved in that first spell of being at Creative Commons uh, in that era that I was describing to you, which was 2005-ish. So pretty early on, relatively early on in the Creative Commons world. Um, And at that point, it was really about kind of partnering with artists, media companies, technology platforms, getting them to understand why creative commons would be a useful approach either for them to use directly or for them to offer to their users. So for the example of like these platforms, Vimeo, SoundCloud, YouTube, Flickr, uh, there's many platforms where people publish their work into ultimately uh, Wikipedia uh, went in the direction of using creative commons as well. And all of those were relationships that we developed came in and said, look, your users, there's a demand for using the places that they're already publishing and sharing their work as a place to not only share it with other people on the platform, but to have the life of it extend beyond the platform and to be incorporated and used other places. And that creative Commons is a great uh, tool to do that. So that was sort of my, my, um, my job the first time around, uh, doing that with platforms, getting artists Uh, major artists getting cultural institutions to use the licenses so we had a big project with uh, with the band Nine Inch Nails where when uh, Trent Reznor was uh, moving out of his record deal that he'd had for a long time at the time he was trying to figure out what's next and he decided that well maybe I could give everything uh, from this album away uh, on the internet for free but I don't want to just have it be completely for free I want to still be the, uh, the, the sole person that can commercialize it but I'm totally happy for people to take this stuff and use it in new ways. And so we worked together on a Creative Commons license approach for that album. Um, A lot of these projects that I initially worked on, they were in and of themselves, I think, useful uh, and and, and cool examples of the way that the licenses could be worked. But really, in a lot of ways, they serve to set examples for how other people might do it. So the real, um, well, a, a really big benefit of that Nine Inch Nails example, for instance, is that other people then saw, you know, they may not be Nine Inch Nails, but they're starting to make music. And if if, if, if he does it and he gets um, a successful project out of it, well, maybe I could do something similar that's inspired by that. And um, that's obviously much more effective than a law professor or even someone who's a representative of a nonprofit organization who's got a vested interest in you using this approach, going out there and trying to evangelize around this idea. So getting people that were influential and smart and had creative approaches to using openness and free freedom on the internet uh, to, to partner with us around these kinds of projects. I think it was really instrumental in the uptake of the licensing over the years. And then uh, I, I went, uh, I actually went back to work for Wired again for several years and then came back to Creative Commons again. So I've been at Creative Commons again for about four years and this time uh, my job includes a version of that, although these days we're much more focused on working with institutional adopters. So we're very focused on the GLAM sector, so galleries, libraries, archives, museums, I'm sure your folks who uh, listen to this are, are um, up to speed on, on on that acronym, but sometimes I'll throw that out there. Not everyone knows what I mean. But that that's a, a huge space force right now because we believe, and actually most of the, you know, the museums and people in the GLAM space that we talk to, they also believe that, uh, that their mission is about uh, equitable access, and that, uh, you know, as they go online and increasingly move archives and increasingly digitize and increasingly strategize around new ways to offer things to the public, to serve the public interest, what's the best way to do that? Well, we're working with them to uh, to, to ensure that there is a sharing approach that, um, that serves everyone, and so that's one of the main spaces we're working on right now. And then the other uh, main area that we're working on in is the education space where we're similarly, I think it's a, a pretty commonly agreed upon idea that everyone should have access to high quality educational resources. And a good way to do that is to take them outside of the, uh, the restrictive paywalls that some uh, textbook uh, schemes and some uh, types of educational content are still locked behind and Creative Commons wants to Work with partners to unlock as much of that as possible. Make it possible for it to be accessible every, by everyone. Make it translatable by everyone, et cetera. So that's uh, two of the spaces we're really heavily involved in right now. So less about the kind of pop culture and and uh, and platforms. But so so I, I do work in uh, some measure to support that work. By um, I think I think the 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 more digest version of my job right now is that I work on our strategy along with the management team about how to increase awareness around what we do and understanding around what we do and to help uh, create things that enable the community of people who are interested in creative commons in this work to go out there talk to decision makers in their own jurisdictions talk to policy makers in their own <clears throat> excuse me in their own um, countries or, or areas and and get them to get excited about the Creative Commons approach. I
0: guess it's interesting and it's foreshadows for my next question, like the, the, the commonality of language that you find between the Creative Commons community and, and Wikimedia is, I think, now obvious. And we exist, I suppose, in this larger open and a probably open with a with capital O uh, community. What do you think that our communities and there's obviously large overlap between both of them can do for our shared kind of work and advocacy? in the next tw- 20 years, I suppose.
1: <laughs> yeah, one of the places I think that our shared work could overlap, and I've thought a lot about this, is that despite the fact that increasingly people, I think, understand the distinction between the ability to share on like social media, for instance, and then the ability to share on a place like Wikipedia or in the Creative Commons ecosystem, I think it's still a relatively, these are still still relatively rarefied spaces that reward a kind of participation that is like on the one hand, I I, I think that's a good thing. You want people to, to have uh, specific ideals and parameters. And it can't just be that open is everything, you know, as long as it's like has to do with sharing, then that's open. But that said, it's like there's a lot of people that I think we share aims with that feel closed off from our community because we have such a specific language. So I would like to see us figure out ways collaboratively and with other groups who work in this space to be more incorporative of... People who I think have the right idea, but maybe don't have the right vocabulary.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, kind of deep. What I tend to call demystifying,
1: kind of. Mm-hmm.
0: That's exactly right. So, on that note, like, do you have, do you have yourself within the creative commons space? Do you have a passion project that you just do yourself, even outside of work hours? You yes, think about well, outside of
1: work hours. <laughs> there, <yeah. laughs> it's, we're always working, right? Um, <laughs> there's a couple of things. I mean. I, I've always been interested in the idea of open music, and I and I you know I I still am a practitioner, and I make stuff, and I try to put it out there always under Creative Commons or you know whatever kind of approach makes it as accessible as possible. I mean that that's that's just a small way to contribute, but I think that uh, in being involved in that community is exciting for me, like seeing what people are doing, seeing how there's despite the fact that. Most of the stuff that I consume music wise, it lives in the same platforms that everyone's using. There's this kind of like, you know, handful of companies that where things live, if they don't live there, then they may as well not exist. And that to me is something I'm really a little concerned about. And I want to, it's something I do want to work about, especially after talking to um, you know, I, I recently, I, we, we have a podcast at Creative Commons, one of the people that I had on recently was Leela Bailey of the Internet Archive, and she got me thinking about so many things related to that, about how if uh, if culture, especially contemporary culture, doesn't live in these platforms, Netflix, Spotify, I'll name them, those kind of things, that if it don't live there, if it doesn't live there, we we have a um, I think I think in some ways it feels like they may as well not exist at all, like these things that just live outside of that space. So I'm, I'm very interested in how people that are making things right now that are maybe only on SoundCloud or maybe only on their own website, but aren't intentionally moving them into these these um, these ecosystems where uh, you know, the, the idea is that it's it's the it's everything is there, but it, it really isn't. Um, I don't know it, it's it's a, a a sort of rambling way of saying that that's a space that I'm interested in is figuring out how to amplify these communities of creators and me specifically because I'm very interested in music I'm, I'm interested in knowing how uh, we might build more awareness around that community and make it a more formidable kind of environment that uh, that, that people understand that that um, the only music that exists is not live in Spotify. And then there's a project that I, I worked on uh, for the about the last few years. And it was uh, related to Creative Commons, my, my job Creative Commons specifically, but it is something that was a passion project. So I'll bring it up here. It's called the Open COVID Pledge. And it was uh, a project that was developed by a community of legal experts, a global group of people that were advocates for the open sharing of intellectual property that was patented, saying, look, there's all this stuff out there that companies and smart people at universities have uh, come up with. And like everything else, it tends to be locked down. And for the purposes of coming to solutions around the COVID crisis, it would be very nice to develop a campaign where people pledge to release all of their intellectual property to the public for the use specifically in tackling and fighting uh, COVID. So that was a project that we uh, we did and it's now lives with a project at American University called Pidgep, which is a, uh, one of our partners. They are also uh, the the home of the Creative Commons USA project and um, it was a great success. It was we, we, we had some of the biggest patent holders in the world collectively pledged and made available to the public more than 500,000 patents for anyone in the world to use for the purposes of fighting against the pandemic. So that was a very, uh, a very fulfilling project to be part of. But actually, you know, one of the really great things about it was uh, it, it still hasn't even happened yet, which is that it was a, a new kind of project for Creative Commons to get involved with in the sense that we've always thought of uh, as... Uh, of our approach to sharing to being very much about not saying what the purpose needed to be tied to so this was different in the sense that we were saying yes it's quote unquote open but it's only open for the purposes of things that are created either to uh, help kind of solve or at least fight the the, uh, the crisis and I think that that's going to be something that will be inspirational for us how we approach other global threats I mean you think of of climate, I think there's a lot of partners that would be very interested in using an open approach where they, where they offer everything that they've done to the public, to their competitors, even as long as it's for, you know, battling these existential threats. So I think that's going to be something that will be useful in informing how we approach some of our projects going forward at Creative Commons.
0: Very good. And I think it, it, got me thinking a little bit about something we we referenced before we we hit the record button which was um, about having perhaps these spaces in which um you're not creating this new rigid system to replace yeah. a, a previous rigid system if you want to kind of talk absolutely. To that, absolutely
1: yeah i think i thought that was an interesting uh, part of our of our of our conversation earlier too because i thought a lot about that i mean there are as, as we you know, learn more and more about the way that the world works, I think it's become clear that in some ways we've had an approach to the way that sharing should look, uh, the way that policy around intellectual property should look that is very valid and uh, also should be up for debate. And that we should be reactive when we see things that don't quite work about our assumptions about how our solution might change the world. And I don't think that's a, a bad thing. I think, first of all, it is just a, an acknowledgement of the fact that the, the world changes. That's one thing. But it but it also acknowledges that we don't understand every situation. We don't understand every culture or community. We're not, a, as much as we try to uh, be incorporative, we're, we're always going to fall short of what our ideal is going to be. So we need to be listening. So that's, that's sort of, I, I think, a... a esoteric way of saying that what I'm excited about is that uh, and that I hope that that we can work on with other projects like Wikipedia um, more actively on is the idea that while some of these approaches to open or sharing may have been set up to kind of be repudiations of what we thought of as being very didactic and rigid systems uh, might themselves become very narrow in terms of how we think of them and their parameters and that it would be actually a shame if we let that happen instead we need to be listening and acknowledge the fact that although we think that sharing should work in these handful of very permissive ways well that may not actually be true of the way that cultures around the world or even cultures within our own communities might think of uh, how sharing should work and we need to try to adopt solutions that are uh, more purposeful and less broadly applied.
0: And I think at the last year's virtual conference, there was a conversation, and this seems to come out of GLAM work a lot, like the how respect for cultural objects also has to extend, and how you those considerations around opening up and uh, making digitizations reusable, and and actually who should have access to those spaces, um, as regards. Sacred objects or objects of, of great cultural significance for for certain communities, um, and I think that that's it's a sign of the maturity. You know, both of our communities are, are twenty years old now, so we've come to the point that we can have those those reflections and grow, perhaps a little bit more.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I will say that I still I do come across people from time to time who are not really willing to have that conversation, and I'm sure that was part of the. Tension in that uh, that dialogue that you were describing there. Otherwise, why have a presentation about it if everyone agrees? But uh, but yeah, I feel I feel really strongly about this.
0: Well, is there anything else that you wanted to any clarion calls, anything that you wanted to put out to the the world before we draw
1: to a close? Well, I will say we are on Monday, so today is a Friday, and we are on Monday launching our 20th anniversary. Uh, development fundraising campaign so it is uh, not just fundraising though it is of course you know a celebration of our community and the wins of this of this uh, of, the, of the space that we work in from the last 20 years so um, and, and along with that you know we're launching a new tagline which I think is very relevant to what we were just talking about which is uh, the, the idea of better sharing brighter world and the idea is that you know Yes, we think as a fundamental truth about the world that we work in, that sharing is better, that things are better when they're open and available and accessible, but there has to be intentionality built around that. So the idea of better sharing and Creative Commons moving into the space of better sharing, a very important um, message around the work that we do going forward, that we want to make sure that we're focused on things that we know sharing could actually help bring about A better world through and not just broadly apply sharing in every scenario because that's the end in and of itself it's not the end in and of itself it's the it's the means the ends that we think are important and we think it's a a valuable way to get there